This afternoon we're going to be looking at Baptist Catechism 103 and 104. Uh, there are 114 questions in our catechism, so you could see we are getting near to the end of it. You know I put this on a two-year cycle, right? And I was really excited the other day when I pulled up my calendar and counted how many weeks are remaining and how many catechism questions I have to cover in those weeks, and it was just spot on. I, I, I mean, I kind of plan it, but things don't always go as planned, but it was really neat to see that we are on pace to finish our most recent um, journey through our catechism by the end of the year. Baptist Catechism 103 asks, Who are the proper subjects of this ordinance? Speaking of the Lord's Supper. In other words, who should partake of the Lord's Supper? Answer, They who have been baptized upon a personal profession of their faith in Jesus Christ and repentance from dead works. Question 104. What is required to the worthy receiving of the Lord's Supper? In other words, how should we approach the Lord's Supper so that we partake of it in, in a good way, in the right way, in a worthy way? Answer. It is required of them that would worthily partake of the Lord's Supper that they examine themselves of their knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of their faith to feed upon Him, of their repentance, love, and new obedience, lest, coming unworthily, they eat and drink judgment to themselves. Our scripture reading is 1 Corinthians 5, 1-8. Hear, hear now the Lord's word. 1 Corinthians 5, 1. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not even tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are already unleavened. Excuse me, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is now the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the teaching of his word this afternoon. That's a wonderful scripture text to read, isn't it? Um, as we are considering how to partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. There the apostle is quite clear. You're not doing a good thing, church, when you allow sin to persist within the congregation unrepented of. And when you come to the Lord's table, you're not celebrating the festival in a, in a good way, you are, you are celebrating the festival that Christ has instituted for us with the leaven of sin present. So there are two questions that we are addressing here today. Let's take them in order. Who are the proper subjects of this ordinance, the Lord's Supper? In other words, who is to partake? The answer given is that it is they who have been baptized upon personal profession of their faith in Jesus Christ and repentance from dead works. Uh, remember, those who are to be baptized are they who have faith in Christ. Not infants, 
not those who do not believe, but those who have made a credible profession of faith, they are the ones who are to receive the ordinance or sacrament of baptism. And now we build upon that to say that it is those who have been baptized who are then to be permitted to come to the Lord's table. You know, I was reflecting back upon my Christian experience, and I was thinking, this, this was new to me at some point. I was raised in a church where children were allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper prior to ever being baptized. Any of you remember that? I, I, I had almost forgotten about it. Um, children would be baptized only after they made a profession of faith, but they would have been partaking of the Lord's Supper long before that. I think they would have been allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper you know, as soon as they had teeth to chew with. Um, as long as they could chew and digest the, the bread without choking, I guess they would be permitted to partake of the Lord's Supper. And I was thinking, that was so very backwards, wasn't it? Uh, because baptism is the ordinance that marks entrance into the covenant community. It is the thing that expresses faith in Jesus Christ and repentance from dead works. And the Lord's Supper is the thing that expresses continuation in the covenant Community That's so familiar to you and I today, but it's not familiar to everyone. In some of these evangelical churches, uh, children are permitted to partake of the Lord's Supper, irrespective of whether or not they've been baptized as an infant or baptized as a believer. You know, well, where, do you, where do you see this teaching in Scripture? Well, I think you see this teaching of the order of the sacraments, first baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, from the meaning of the sacraments themselves... Uh, baptism, marking, union with Christ, the washing away of sins, the death to an old life, and being raised to a newness of life. Clearly, that sacrament is to be applied one time at the beginning of the Christian life, marking entrance into the covenant community. The Lord's Supper, though, obviously symbolizes other things. It reminds us of the finished work of Christ, we have learned. It reminds us of, of the fact that we are His people uh, through faith in Him, but there is communion with God that is signified in the Lord's Supper. We are coming to the Lord's table to commune with Him. And of course, that is the ongoing thing that we enjoy as Christians who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. I might also point to that Great Commission passage as a proof text for this principle here. It's very familiar to you, but think of, the, think of baptism and the Lord's Supper as I read it. Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus came to His disciples saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How are disciples made, brothers and sisters? You may answer. How are disciples made? The through the preaching of the gospel, as the Spirit works. It's through the preaching of the gospel and by the working of the Holy Spirit that sinners turn from their sin into Christ and are therefore saved. So disciples are made through the preaching of the gospel. What are we to do with these? who profess faith in Christ, next statement in the Great Commission, baptizing them, that is, the disciples, the new disciples, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. New disciples are to be made through the preaching of the gospel. They turn from their sins and confess Christ as Lord and profess faith in Him. These, and no one else, are to be baptized, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what is the next thing we are to, to do as the church in the Great Commission. Teaching. teaching. So, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have 
commanded you, and then he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Lord's Supper is one of the things that Christ has commanded His church to observe. So it, it, it's not mentioned explicitly in the Great Commission. It does not say baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then administering to them the Lord's Supper. But it is certainly included in the phrase, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We are to baptize disciples those who make a credible profession of faith. And then these are to be taught to observe what Christ has commanded. And that certainly has the Lord's Supper in view. The Lord's Supper is central to the Christian life. It is central to the Christian life. I hope you agree with that. These folks who claim to have Jesus as Savior but don't even go to assemble with the church, what a contradiction it is. And when we assemble together as, as, as God's people in Jesus' name, Kind of the pinnacle of our experience together is coming to the table. We should not come to the table apart from the Word of God preached, but here is kind of the apex of our time together on the Lord's Day. We are to come to the table. We are to feast upon Christ. We are to commune with God through faith in Him, and we are to commune with one another, you see. Uh, This is what it means, one of the things that is meant by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and then there is that promise, and behold, I am with you always to the, ends of the age, to the end of the age. Well, where is that signified in our corporate worship on the Lord's day except at the Lord's table? I am with you always to the end of the age. Are we not reminded of Christ's presence with us each and every time that we partake of the Lord's Supper? He's not present with us bodily, as if the bread were His flesh and the wine were His blood. We do not hold to that, that view called transubstantiation, nor do we hold to the view of consubstantiation. We learned about this last week. But Christ is really present with us according to His divine nature and by the Spirit that He has sent. The Lord's Supper signifies these things. It is certainly implied strongly and directly uh, here in the Great Commission, Commission passage that I have just cited. The Lord's Supper falls under the category of teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It is to follow baptism, therefore. Baptism marks the beginning. The Lord's Supper signifies continuing. Baptism might be compared to a wedding. The Lord's Supper can be compared to an anniversary. Right? How many times do you conduct a wedding service in a marriage? You know, once. And it marks the beginning of the union. It signifies the beginning of the union. How many times do you celebrate an anniversary? Over and over and over again. And so it is with baptism and the the Lord's Supper. In baptism we say, I believe, and Jesus is Lord. In the Lord's Supper we say, I still believe, and Jesus is still my Lord. In baptism God says, this one is mine. In the Lord's Supper God says, I am ever faithful and with you still. This one is still mine because of my covenant faithfulness is the message that is sent as we partake of the Lord's Supper. It's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, so baptism is to be given at the beginning, and then it is those who have been baptized upon profession of faith who are to be given the Lord's Supper. They are the proper subjects of, of the Lord's Supper. Question 104 is very, very important. What is required to the worthy receiving of the Lord's Supper? How do we come and partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? The answer that is given is beautiful. It is required of them that would worthily partake of the Lord's Supper that they examine themselves. Examination, self-examination is so very important for the proper observance of the Lord's Supper. By the way, 
I know this isn't a sermon on the importance of the Lord's Day or the Christian Sabbath, but isn't it amazing that the Lord has, has structured time in such a way that there is day and night, day and night, one day passes to the next. Uh, and more than this, there are seven days to a week. And more than this, there is a distinction between days so that one day is to be regarded as holy and as set apart unto the Lord for rest and for worship. Isn't that wonderful? It, it, creates, it, it gives us this structure so that we don't just float through life aimlessly, but rather even time itself has meaning. The seven days remind us of God's act of creation, and the fact that there is one day out of seven that is distinct reminds us um, of our Creator and of our Redeemer now that Christ is risen. And it, it, it gives us this structure so that we do not just float through life aimlessly, one day following the next, without distinction and without meaning. No, one day is holy unto the Lord. It's a day for rest, and if you still believe that the purpose of the day is for you to nap, you are, you are missing it. It is not a day for you to rest in that sense. It's a day for you to rest from common things, from worldly employments, not sinful, but just common, worldly employments, from worldly recreation. Those things are to be put to the side, and you are to be engaged in a different kind of activity. The Lord's Day is not a day of rest in the sense that it's a day for you to be idle. It's a day for rest from certain things so that you might take up a different kind of activity, a holy activity, namely the activity of worship, the activity of corporate worship. And I bring this up now when I'm here talking about the importance of examining yourselves to come to the Lord's table because this should happen as we draw near to the Lord's day each and every week. Yes, we are to think of the Lord every day. Yes, we are to worship and serve Him every day. Yes, we are to turn from sin every day. I am not denying that. But you should especially be examining yourselves and turning from sin and preparing yourselves for worship as the Lord's Day Sabbath draws near each and every week. So we have embedded within our week purpose and meaning. Do you see it? It's very important to recognize. So when you're getting ready to go to bed on, on a Saturday night, you should be getting to bed at a, a decent hour and you should be mindful of what is coming. When you awake, you are going to awake in a new day. And it is the Lord's Day. It is a holy day. It is a, it is a day for a certain kind of activity. It's a day for worship. And when you worship, you are going to come and you're going to hear the Word of God preached and eventually you are going to hold in your hands the body of Christ and His blood, signified in the bread and in the cup. You're going to commune with your Maker on this day, with the people of God surrounding you. So you had better prepare your heart, turn from sin, and come and fix your attention upon the Lord in a very pronounced way so that you might glorify him and these things. So, examine yourselves. Well, of what? And then three things are mentioned by our catechism. First of all, examine yourself as it pertains to your knowledge to discern the Lord's body. In other words, be sure that you are coming to the Lord's table with knowledge, that you know what it is that you are doing as you partake of the bread and the cup. You need to come knowing what it is that you are doing. That the bread signifies His broken body, the the cup, his, his shed blood. And more than that, you need to understand what that means. Like, what does that even mean? So there needs to be knowledge, and you need to be sure that you are coming with knowledge of these things in your mind. Two, of your faith to feed upon Christ. You need to examine yourself to be sure that you are coming in faith, so that you are not approaching the sacrament in a, in a, in a, 
a religious way that is dead and lifeless and without faith. So that you are not coming to the sacrament as if it is a superstitious thing, you know? Just something for you to do. You need to come with faith in your heart so that when you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you're actually feeding on Christ. You're, 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 you're coming to Him by faith, knowing that this is what these things signify. To partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner means that you come with faith in your heart. That you are believing, not upon the bread and the cup, nor upon the church or the minister that administers these things, but your, your attention is drawn to Christ. Your mind is fixed on Him and you are feasting upon Him as you eat. There needs to be faith in our hearts. Three, of your repentance, love, and new obedience. To partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner requires you to turn from sin. I, I hope you've had this experience before um, where you maybe struggle with some sin let's say on a Saturday, and yet you're just particularly bothered by it because you know that the next day is the Lord's Day and you're going to hold the Lord's Supper in your hands, the bread and the cup. And it, it, shouldn't it just sharpen the, the need for you to turn? Perhaps you've had a conflict with your husband or wife and you're thinking, I know that I need to make this right no matter what day it is. I need to turn from my sin. I need to confess my sin to the Lord and, and, and ask my wife to forgive me. That needs to happen no matter what day it is. But you know that if this happens on a Saturday, there's, some, there's a sharpness to this conviction, isn't there? I really need to do it because tomorrow I'm going to assemble for worship. I'm going to come before God Almighty and I'm going to hold in my hands the bread and the cup. And I'm going to be, need to be sure that, that I do not partake in an unworthy manner. So we need to examine ourselves do we know what it is that we are doing? Are we believing upon Christ? Do we have faith to feed upon Him? And have, have we turned from sin? Have we repented? Are we coming with love in our hearts for Christ? Love for Him. Are, are we coming with love in our hearts for Christ? And are we coming with the intention to walk in this obedience, this new obedience that is ours because of the new life that is in Christ Jesus? And then there is this warning at the very end of the text. The catechism answer, rather. It says, Lest, coming unworthily, we eat and drink judgment to ourselves. That's alluding to uh, the 1 Corinthians passage that we read just a moment ago. And later in 1 Corinthians, there's another passage that speaks even more directly to this issue of eating and drinking judgment upon yourselves. Paul even says to the Corinthians, You're coming to the, the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And in fact... This is the reason some of you are sick, and this is the reason some of you have died, because the Lord has judged you harshly. And He'll even do this to His people uh, so as to save you ultimately. It's a, it's a powerful passage that Paul refers to, but this church was so filled with sin, and people were coming, and they were handling this holy thing, the Lord's Supper, in an unholy way, without discerning their knowledge, their faith, and their repentance and love for Christ. And therefore the Lord judged them very harshly, I don't think he's teaching that this is the reason that you're sick always. But you understand, the Lord does judge His people if they come in an unworthy manner. So just as God would judge His people under the Old Covenant, if they came to the temple in an unholy and unworthy manner and profaned that temple, so too He judges His people if they come in an unholy manner under the New Covenant, if they come and profane the Lord's temple, that is to say, the church, particularly the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. So, brothers and sisters, I do exhort you to come knowing what it is that you do. Come not to feast upon the bread and the cup only, but to feast upon Christ because your faith is in Him. And He is the thing that these elements signify. 
And I urge you to come, having turned from sin, with faith in your hearts, and with love for Christ, and with a resolve to walk in obedience before Him. Let's bow together for prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us to understand what the sacraments are all about, what they mean, who they are for, baptism and the Lord's Supper, but especially help us to prepare our hearts for worship on the Lord's Day, that we would come in a worthy manner to commune with you. Lord, help us to see that you are indeed a holy God, and you are to be feared, and we are to come before you with reverence in our hearts. We are so very grateful that we are able to do so because of what Christ has done for us, You have washed us, O Lord, by the blood of the Lamb. You have given us Christ's righteousness. Now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to come before you in a worthy manner. Lord, I pray that your church would be nourished and built up, Lord, as we come in this way. I pray that you would purify us further, O God, for our good and for the glory of your name. It's in the name of Christ that we say these things. Amen.